I'm Sumit Bose. You're listening to the Net Hero podcast. I hope you're following us on social media. We've had lots of downloads, which is great. So please spread the word. Come to futurenetzero.com if you're interested in other stories like the ones we feature here on the podcast each week, because we're there to help businesses and public sector organizations get on the pathway to net zero. And what a week it's been. Wow. For lots and lots of announcements. We've had the heat strategy and we've had the net zero strategy, the pathway to net zero. And we'll be covering that much more. You'll find more details on futurenetzero.com. But just to give you a quick snapshot, here's some big headlines. 350 million more for electrification of transport. 620 million for EVs. 10% sustainable aviation fuel by 2030 that so can fly without feeling guilty and 140 million towards hydrogen and carbon capture, 500 million towards green technologies. And even the PM has said, let's eat a bit less meat. Now, there's a lot of issues around this. A lot of people have welcomed it. Some people say it's nowhere near enough. You've had lots of bad headlines about how we're going to upgrade boilers. But look, let's park that for now. At least we are now going under a certain pathway towards the net zero. It's really interesting the point the Prime Minister made about us eating a bit less meat. And I think it's something that most of us have started to do quite recently. But the wider issue of agriculture and where it meets the net zero nexus, as people like to call it, is very interesting because we're going to have to feed the planet. We want to use less land. We don't want to have animals, hopefully, in the future. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to grow? plants in places that perhaps right now we can't. Well, one farmer in America, well, he's not really a farmer actually, but uh, he, he's picked up farming and he's come up with a very novel solution, which is to transform his family farm into a solar garden and a solar garden which allows him to grow plants in some very harsh conditions. I had a really fascinating chat with Byron Kovanek and I started by talking to him about where this all came from. Now, the basics of photosynthesis, most of us kind of worked out by now, that the sun rises and you get uh, plants using that energy to grow. But what about taking solar energy into that, using the power of the sun to create a solar garden, using that to grow your crops and vegetation? And not just that, to then export some of that. Could this be the future of farming? Well, I'm joined by a man who's just done that on his family farm, Byron Kamenek, who has a farm based in uh, Colorado. And I, I'm intrigued by this, Byron. Um, just give us, a, give us a paint a picture for us, particularly our audience in the UK, of, of what your farm's like. I think it was, it was your grandfather's farm. Is that right? Yeah, my grandfather, uh, Jack Stinger, he purchased our land in 72. We have 24 acres of land. It's all really flat. We're in the plains just east of the Rocky Mountains. So I can see 14,000 foot peaks in the distance, but uh, our farm sits at about 5,000 feet in elevation. We've been growing hay or wheat and having cattle for the past 50 years. When I moved out to the family farm about five years ago, I started learning more about how we don't really make much money on hay and that we needed to do something else with our land because we live in a really a, a expensive county where there's a lot of folks making a, a fair chunk of change, but 24 acres of, of farmland here just wasn't cutting it for our family. So we needed to do something different. Before we talk about what you did, clearly you, your family had the farm. I, I, from what you've said, it seems to me that you maybe went away and, and, and did other things. 
did you grow up near the farm? Did you go and visit your grandfather's farm when you were little? No, I grew up in Northeast Tennessee, which is about two day drive from here. But I came out here in the 90s as a kid growing up and spent the summers out here. I had a career in international development living in Africa for a number of years before I moved out here to the farm and took over the management of it. What was it like as a kid having a, you know, I'd love to have had a grandfather with a farm actually. <laughs> my my grandfather passed away before I was born. Oh, uh, right. But coming out here on the land, like my grandmother and my grand aunt were living here. They had farm tenants. So there, was, there wasn't much for me to do. I uh, just kind of wander around and take a look at the cows and then go back inside for the most part. So I didn't get <laughs> too involved in anything. So it wasn't like kind of a you know field of dreams where you're sort of walk, walking through the corn and, and 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 any of that when you were younger. No, not so much. So you go off and you have your career, and uh, obviously that's interesting in international development. So when talk us to when you came back to the farm and what you saw there. What why what brought you back first of all, and and what did you look at when you when you saw the farm and you thought maybe the new direction is needed. I uh, moved to the family's farm to just have more of a connection to it. I hadn't lived out here, but my brother had for a number of years. And I wanted to see what it was like to live here on the farm. And as I mentioned, just learning more about the hay industry around here, how we're cutting and selling hay, but that almost pays for the combination of our property tax, utilities, and water rights. So couldn't even go to the grocery store on the, the money that we made off of hay. So it didn't didn't really make sense to keep going with the same path that we were. What did you decide to do? I had a friend in the solar industry that mentioned that putting solar panels up on our property might be a good idea. We had a three-phase electricity line on property to make it cheaper to connect into the electricity grid. So I had to work with Boulder County, our local government, to change their laws over the course of a year so that we could build a 1.2 megawatt solar array on our farm and had to work with local utility to be able to do so. So we sell Excel Energy, our renewable energy credits. And then they allow us to sell electricity to individuals or companies or even some of the local governments in the area. You called it Jack's Solar Garden. I assume that's after your grandfather. Is that right? Yeah. So talk us through it now. If we went there, what would we see? Is it just a a sea of panels? Is that what we see? Loads of huge, massive PV arrays? If you drive by on the road, it'll look like a field of solar panels. But once you come out into the field and start walking below, you'll notice that the panels are elevated up higher. So most solar arrays, they're maybe six inches to a foot or so off the ground at the lowest part, whereas ours have been elevated up to about six feet and eight feet high. They're single axis tracking, so sunlight can hit everywhere on the farm over the course of the day. And we have about an acre of crops growing underneath the panels and another three acres that are either being cover cropped or in research. So you'll see tomatoes, squash, hot peppers, arugula, lettuce, radishes, cucumbers, all sorts of things growing out underneath our solar panels right now. So it's growing hay. You see that's not working. What has, what has happened? Is it just the energy has allowed you to create a new ecosystem for different crops? Is that what's happened, that you've been able to grow all these different types of, uh, uh, of food? By having the gumption to build the solar array and wanting to do agrivoltaics, that helped to bring on different partners that were interested in working with us. So we started working with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, Colorado State University and University of Arizona to study the microclimates underneath our solar panels because they they provide 60 to 70% more shade for the spaces underneath of it. So mm. it just creates a different microclimate for crops to grow. Here in Colorado, where it's arid, you know, having some more shade that reduces evaporation keeps moisture in the soil a little bit longer. Water is always a, a contentious thing out here. We also have a 
partnerships with Sprout City Farms, a nonprofit farming organization. So they they actually hired some women to come out and do the majority of the, the farm work out here. And I help where I can with either tractor movements or, or spreading compost or other things. We also have an education component out here, Colorado Agrivoltaic Learning Center, where we work to bring out the community onto our land. So we have public tours on a regular basis. We bring out high school students to see our land. And of course, we have to get those policymakers to come out to see that solar doesn't have to be the way it's always been done, that mm. we can still make use of the the soils beneath it. That's a really interesting one, because many people have said that, you know, with, with solar arrays, they take a lot of land up and that you really can't do much with it. Could you just explain to us listeners about this microclimate? Because whether it's the shade or you can reuse some of the power and, you know, heat around it, or you can create kind of uh, self-propagating irrigation systems. Did, did you have any idea about any of this when, when you first started doing this? Or was this kind of, or was it a project about, let's you know build the solar farm do the energy as a lot of farmers do here in the uk as well people are putting up turbines and it's it's really a way of turning businesses that are not functioning really as agriculture businesses into energy businesses but you've done something very different which is combined the two yeah uh, i'll start with your point on uh that solar takes up a lot of land the national renewable energy laboratory shows by 2030 that there could be two to three million acres of land in in the u.s that are coated with solar panels whereas by 2050, it could be four to six million acres of land. That's that's an absurd amount of land that would be no longer usable if we don't do agrivoltaics with it or figure out how to grow crops or have animals with, within that space. And all that is probably going to be farmland too, because that's the cheapest land that's around. Of yeah. As far as the microclimates, we knew that there would be something different going on. Uh, research partners have looked at it in other parts of the country. We just didn't know exactly what it would be like here. So they're measuring soil moisture at different points within the solar array. They're looking at light intensity, temperature, humidity, soil heat flux, the way water moves underneath the solar array to so that over the coming years, as the weather changes on an annual basis, we'll have a better understanding of how the average microclimate looks like over time. What we're currently seeing is uh, since our panels track east-west, our afternoon thunderstorms occur in Colorado. So when the panels are facing to the west in the afternoon, there's runoff that comes off to whatever vegetation is on the left side of the, or on the west side of those panels. Right. And then in the morning, uh, there's dew that accumulates on the panels and it all kind of drips off to the east side in the mornings. So there's just differences in where that water moves over the course of the day. And then the crops have to deal with what type of sun do they get? Do they get morning or afternoon or, or evening sun? And the main difference between those is how hot it's going to be. In Colorado, our temperature swings pretty rapidly because it's dry out here. We don't have humidity. So uh, it can be 40 degrees in the morning and then 85 degrees in the afternoon. So I guess for the wow. listeners, that's closer to like, what, uh, three Celsius in the morning and then <laughs> up to, what, 24 Celsius in the afternoon, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a right thing. I mean, I've been to, are you in Boulder County, are you? Yes. That part, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, the, the junction of that. It's renowned for, for being dry, but it's also renowned for obviously the, the Hoover Dam's not far away and the irrigation that's that's gone. I mean, I'm not putting it in that same level, level, but is this an example, do you think, of kind of kind of the new way of us using a, a renewable source the way they did in the 1930s when they when they built the Hoover Dam and hydroelectrics changed the, the, the face of sort of California? Could you see this 
you know, ag- you call it agro uh, ag- agrovoltaics. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Do you see this as being something that could bring farming to kind of more arid parts of not just the U.S. but pretty much anywhere? We did this project as a means of helping support our community as well as improving our, our family's lot in life here on the land. As we have worked with our researchers and learned more from other folks around our country, it's it's nice to see that we're actually more of a model for how others could do it. I, I don't expect anybody to build anything quite like ours, but uh, to de- develop things in their own way for their own land and their own uses. And as far as how others adapted in the future, you know, I I hear a lot that uh, small farms across our country are having are having hard times. Bigger yeah. farms make more money off of it, kind of pushes out small farms. Mm-hmm. Developers come in, they buy up land that was farmland because the the people on the land can't can't make money on it anymore. Having solar on your property is a potential means of having a steady income from either the the owner of the solar array system, or if you decide to own it yourself, then having that steady income from the electricity. And then you still have the ability to continue using the, the soil beneath it. Um, I'll, I'll give one example of out, not with Jack Solar Garden, but uh, our Colorado State Land Board owns millions of acres of land in, in Colorado. Yeah, And yeah. all of that land is ranch land. So just cattle out there. But if they could put solar out on that land, they could make more money by leasing that land to solar. And if they elevate the panels up higher, they could still have their cattle. And then the kicker is all the money that the state land board gets goes towards our Colorado education budget. So if we can get those folks to make more money off of agrivoltaics of having cattle underneath solar panels, then then our schools will hopefully do better too. It's really interesting talking to you. Um, You sound like a don't don't get don't take it the wrong way, but you're kind of like a crusade. It sounds all this, but let's be honest, right? This this was a business decision, and nothing wrong with it. You know, you saw that a farm wasn't making the right money. You've put in different things that have made you hopefully more profitable, but you've had all these environmental and societal benefits. Um, many people think that actually, and if you look at this, you know, we we have to be crusaders. We can't think with commercial heads about how we can improve the planet you seem to have done it that way yes absolutely we make our money off of the electricity not off the land beneath the panels we basically donate that land to those that are working there to help showcase agrivoltaics we happen to do this in a in a county where there's a lot of folks that are sustainable minded that are forward thinking on clean energy and wanting to do better for their community so um, we we sold our electricity at a premium to all of our clients and they were all of them signed on understanding that they're supporting a, a new way of producing energy and for helping provide for the community. That's the business side of things. And it's it was great that the residents and companies in Boulder County helped support us to be able to do this. Here you are talking to me in, in, in London. Uh, I know that you've been, you know, got a lot of publicity about it in, in the US. How, how has it been? Have, have people come to talk to you? You say you've got relationships with universities, different kind of agriculture. We've got sort of volunteer groups. Did you realize what what would happen when you sort of started working on this? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I just need to make a buck, man. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was just like, let's let's figure out how to do this, and it'll it'll be fun. I I enjoy doing it. Like for my international development career, it was it was all about how do you 
how do you take natural resources, improve them while also improving the livelihoods for those that use them? And that's that's kind of the mindset I went about with this. And it's been cool to have folks like yourselves uh, give us a call from, from other parts of the world to talk about what we're doing and, and hearing that it helps to inspire other folks. And we have started up a little consultancy to help out with either governments or companies or even landowners that are interested in doing this kind of thing to see how we can support others and figuring out how to do agrivoltaics on the lands that they choose. Have you had any interest from other parts of the states? Some, yeah. I, I get phone calls from all parts of the, the country. So what other farmers have said, look, tell me how to do it. I want, I want to have a go. Here in Boulder County, I've had a handful that are interested in doing it. And I've, I've met folks at, at conferences like from Montana. Uh, there was a really nice couple that they were telling me that, yeah, indeed, they, they see how crops grow in the shade on their farm and how mm -hmm. sometimes those crops, depending on what they are, do better than those that are out in the open. So they, they understood that, yeah, there is a microclimate that's involved with that shade that there is a likelihood of choosing the right crops to put in with it. So they, I remember their, their eyes lit up and that was fun. I mean, we've talked about agriculture and, you know, you, you obviously know from where you are that the huge amount of land that it takes for, for cattle and the, uh, the debates that people are having, not just here, but in America about kind of whether we should eat meat and how do we make sustainable farming more commonplace. We've even had conversations here about things called vertical farms, which are sort of indoor farms I think that the, the truth is that we, we have got to have this connection between food we grow and the energy side of it. Is that something that's really hit you about just how energy intensive we take it for granted when it arrives on our plate in, in our house or in our restaurant or in our supermarket shelves? But we don't go into how much water, energy, you know, what's needed to, to get that food where we, where, where we eat it. Well said. Two things on that one. One, when we were working with Boulder County to update their land use code so that we could build the solar array on our farm. They did an analysis of if they coated every single rooftop with solar panels, how much power that would produce versus how much was consumed in the area. And it was easy to see that they needed solar on farmland to be able to provide all the electricity that the community needs because there are some really heavy energy users in the area that don't have mm. much roof space. So it was a point of fact for them that yes, we need to figure out how to put solar on farmland because it's going to happen. And then on the idea of getting people more accustomed to knowing where their food and energy comes from, it, it's amazing how how few people have ever walked within a solar rate. Um, <laughs> we, we have we've had over 700 people this season come out and visit our solar array and walk around with us. And typically it's the first time anybody has been around solar panels. And it's it's quite fun to take people out, walk underneath our panels, see what it's like. And then they get to see where their food comes from and where their power comes from all in one spot. Before we end, you spent some time in Africa, and I don't want to get kind of all kind of, hey, liberal, hippie, but, you know, that whole thing there. Could you see something like this helping the people that you work with in, in parts of Africa? Could you see this? Because it's, it's very expensive. We all know it's really expensive, and it's seen very much as a first world technology right now. But could you see this kind of thing happening in, in farmland, in, in places like the sub-Sahara, in places like that, where you know there's a lot of solar? If we could get a, the price of the technology down, could this possibly be a solution? Yeah, it is definitely one of the tools that folks can use towards having more reliable energy, 
more clean energy in the future. Been in contact with folks in Botswana and South Africa that are interested in doing agrivoltaic systems. In different parts of Africa, I mean, there, there's 54 countries, so there's there's lots of differences between each okay. nation. But a lot of them have issues with their electricity grid of the stability within it. There's rolling brownouts. Uh, like I remember in Zambia, where I used to live, there, there would be outages uh, every so often. So having a solar array system that is separate from the grid can potentially provide power, uh, especially if you have a battery storage capacity. And then and then if you add in agrivoltaics, then you're not taking away land that people could yeah. uh, continue cultivating, especially yeah. in Southern Africa, where it's hot and dry already. Having that extra shade on the ground could also have the same benefit as what we'll hopefully see out here. What does your family think of all this? I don't know if your grandparent, your, your grandmother's still alive or or anyone directly related to your, your granddad, but what's the family think? My mom is the only surviving member on that side of the family. And I think at first, she, she was a little taken aback by it. She was like, well, we grow hay. Let's just keep growing hay. I was like, no, let's, let's try something you doing, else. son? Like, just grow the hay. Just grow the hay, whatever. But We've been working on this for about four years. And after a year or so of, of heckling her about it, she came around to it. And I think more so than anything, she wanted to support me and the ideas that we had for trying a, a different way of living in the future. Uh, and so that was greatly appreciated. And what do you think if your granddad was around, he'd, he'd look at it now, would he say, grandson, what have you done to this place? You know, I, I asked my mom that. I, I never met my grandfather. Yeah. Uh, but she said he, he probably wouldn't agree with the solar array. <laughs> that, that he probably wouldn't understand why I was doing it, but he would understand that we wanted to be in business for ourselves and try to do do better for ourselves. So that's, that, that's, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good enough. Um, and just to end with, what, what's what's your hopes now? What what do you want to do with this? Is it just to continue where you are? Are you looking about you know just being more of an evangelist or this, or you want to develop the farm more? I mean, we have years left to work. This was our very first season and it was a short season of growing crops underneath the panels. We have more years of working on it to improve it, figuring out our irrigation system better, picking what crops go and what parts of the solar array to do better, figuring out if there's higher value crops that we could have in those areas. So these are things that we're going to be focusing on, along with continuing to have events and getting people more comfortable with the idea of agrivoltaics, of having musicians or artists or other folks that come out and have events within our solar array. Because that's oh, always kind of fun. I love it. A, a gig, um, a concert amongst the solar panels. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a, a famous bluegrass player, uh, banjo picker, come out and play for a for a small crowd and uh, tomorrow night we have about 100 folks coming out to listen to a different bluegrass band while we serve up food from underneath the panels uh, so uh, i wish i could get over there now <laughs> I, i'm sure you could still make it if you want to <laughs> um how do people follow you, have you got a twitter or a instagram that people could follow after they've listened to this mainly on linkedin uh, if you look at linkedin uh byron Kamenek, you can find me on there that's where i do most of my postings on things we'll get it out there and, and we'll celebrate it i think you're doing some amazing work i think you're you're showing you know what i think is a very important interface between technology and agriculture which i think is going to be really important for us as a planet there alone as nation states so thank you for what you're doing thanks for joining us here on the net hero podcast and best of luck byron thank you friend i really would love to go to a concert underneath the solar panels it just sounds incredible what a place what a what a thing he's doing and as i said the great thing is he's doing stuff that other people are copying so you can find him on linkedin byron Komenach. 
So uh, he's great. And it's Jack's Solar Garden. Just Google that. You'll see that. Uh, we've got a lot for you coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're off to COP, COP26. Myself, Robert, Dimmy and the team are off to COP26. So we'll be bringing you regular podcasts from then. And we'll squeeze another one in before that. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Stuart Bose. And remember, futurenetzero.com is where you need to be. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.